Southeast family. Hey. Hi, online. I am honored to be here with you guys. A little bit nervous, a little bit different than singing. You know, with singing, there's a beginning, and you know what you're going to do in the middle, and then you know where it ends. And speaking, I have a tendency to ramble. I love stories, and I love to get into the details. And my husband's like, just get to the end. And I'm like, no, it won't be as good without all the details. So thank you, thank you, whoever said that. Um, but I am just honored to be here to talk about something I am particularly passionate about. Um, I love worshiping God here with my church family. I don't think there's anything more powerful than what can happen in a scenario like this. A room full of Jesus followers, um, lifting up his name in adoration and praise. There's just something very sacred about it. Um, worship for me has morphed over the years, or maybe I've morphed. Um, I started out going to the first Christian church in my little town of 5,000. And we were invited to go by my dad's boss when I was in the third grade. And he didn't feel like he could say no to his boss. So because of that, because of that, my children know Jesus today. Um, and I actually, I, I, his name is Jess. I wrote him a letter some years back to just tell him, thank you for the legacy that you started for our family. Um, but anyway, so I started going out to the First Christian Church and it was very traditional church, uh, hymnals. And I don't really remember singing to God. I don't think I knew that was a thing. Uh, we sang about him and those hymns really formed my theology, which was priceless. Um, and then fast forward, uh, the first church that my husband pastored, get this, don't miss this. He was 21 lead pastor, 21. Like that is the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> it didn't go well. It was so good. It was so good for him because he's, I don't, for those of you who know anything about Enneagrams, he's an eight. And young eights are like, let me add it. I got all the answers. You're either with me or get behind me because I'll run you over. And so he needed, he needed to be humbled. <laughs> and boy, was he. Um, we served at this church that was this huge, old, magnificent building in downtown Boise um, with about 30 people in it. That's right. And I think we grew it to 15, um, which again, <laughs> it was good. We needed it. We needed it. <laughs> Um, and I was the worship leader and it was just me with my overhead projector and then there's a piano player down here and so, you know, we'd be singing, shine, Jesus, shine. Oh, next verse. Fill this land with the Father's glory. It was high tech. It was high tech. I'm thankful that we have come a long way. Um, but yeah, so that's, that was, that was my history of worship. And, uh, I would have called myself one of the frozen chosen, if you're familiar with that. Um, not very expressive in worship, um, and I was pretty judgmental of people who were more expressive. And I remember 
when YouTube had just started coming out, there was this little church called Hillsong and I started seeing them on YouTube and they were dancing around and doing like aerobics and I was like, like, who do they think? That is despicable. That is ridiculous. That's irreverent. And I was appalled. And uh, fast forward, I end up at a uh, worship conference at Saddleback down in California. And um, who should be there but Darling Check, who was part of Hillsong, and she's the one who wrote Shout to the Lord, classic. And I remember her sharing, I've shared this before, but it's too important to not share again. I remember she addressed some of the flack that she was getting. And she said, here's the deal, you guys. When I get in a room full of my brothers and sisters in Christ and my heavenly father is there, I can't help myself. And it's not for you anyway. So if you're uncomfortable, I'm so sorry, but it's for him. And it started to change inside for me. And, and I don't know whether that was the permission that I needed to kind of start out matching my insides with my outsides when it came to expressions and worship, but I started growing. And um, I started allowing myself to grow in vulnerability, which is really hard. Um, which by the way, I'm so honored to be a part of a team of people up here on stage who every week are willing to be vulnerable and just open up their hearts um, in front of you guys for the Lord, um, for the purposes of leading. Um, it's not easy, and we hear comments, <laughs> um, but it's not for you, it's for him. So worship, what it is, does, and everything about it has been a journey for me, and one that I am still on. I wanna share with you a book that is going to change your life. Please promise me that you will read it. It's called The Other Half of Church. I think we have a graphic up there. Yeah. There's a couple, I think when I checked on Thursday, there were six copies in our bookstore. Otherwise, get it on um, Amazon. In two weeks, we actually have a class on it. Um, it's gonna be one of those classes that you go to and you're gonna be like, why did I not know this stuff before? Why did no one tell me? It's gonna be that kind of class. So Aaron was so profoundly moved by this book that he decided he needed to have one of the authors coach him. Uh, he lives up in Boulder, which is very convenient. And so he had been sharing with us uh, different things from the book and us as a staff got really excited about it too. And so I decided to take my team through it. And I wish we would have known how profound the book was going to be for us because then we could have decided, okay, so let's only highlight the things that we don't want to remember, the things that won't be useful because we highlighted the whole book. And so it's frustrating enough to go back and find, oh, remember that one amazing thing? Oh yeah, the whole page is highlighted. But it's that kind of book, amazing. So it's written by two men, Michael, who who is Aaron's coach, he's a pastor and a teacher. And then uh, another guy by the name of Jim Wilder, who is a, let me get this right, um, theologian and doctor of psychology. And he calls himself a neurotheologian. I love that. And what he does is he studies the intersection of spiritual formation and how the brain works. It's fascinating. In their book, they talk about how we in the Western American church live out our Christianity mostly left-brained. And yet God designed us 
to live out our faith, whole-brained. And so what does that mean? So I'm just gonna recap, give a quick little science lesson here. I know you all know this. The brain has two main sides, and the left brain is more verbal, analytical, and orderly. It's better at reading and writing logic, facts, and linear thinking, to name a few. Do we have any dominant left brain people in here? And proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Aaron is also proud of it. Then we have the right brain, more visual and intuitive, creative and less organized in thinking. I'm a little offended by that. It helps people with imagination, the arts, nonverbal cues, feelings, and intuition, to name a few. That's right. Any dominant right brain people. <laughs> we keep things interesting and maybe frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> so let's put this into play for our Christianity. So for example, for a lot of us, if it can't be explained logically, verbally and orderly, or if we can't easily analyze it, it makes us uncomfortable and we tend to shy away from it. Like aspects of God that are unexplainable, which there's a lot of them. Or worship music that has poetic expression like we need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out. Or expressions of worship, dancing, clapping, lifting hands, or moving at all. But at the very least, we don't allow these things because they feel illogical into our faith because they feel sort of airy-fairy for some of us. But there's a mysticalness to God. It's hard to logically explain who he is. And that's why many don't believe in God. Because I can't reason him, therefore he's not possible. Which really makes those people God, deciding what is and what isn't. And even for those of us who do have a faith in God, because he's so hard to logically wrap our minds around, there are aspects of him that we unintentionally or intentionally don't allow into our faith. Things like the supernatural and miracles. The things we can't wrap our minds around tend to make us super uncomfortable and take us out of our comfort zones. Unfortunately, we end up limiting ourselves to experiencing our vast, tremendous, and breathtaking God based on our limited understanding, which is very small which makes him small, and it makes our Christianity small. This is all left brain dominant. But did you know that the right brain is the primary driver for character change and spiritual formation? I'm gonna say this again, because I don't, I don't wanna go over this. I don't wanna just pass over it, it's too big. The right brain is the primary driver for character change and spiritual formation. So if we're not engaging our right brain, or we're engaging it very little, we are stunting the very thing that helps us accomplish what we said we would do when we professed Christ. Follow him, become his disciple, and look just like him. 
We are beings with a left and right brain, which don't work separate from one another. They're integrated. And yet in faith and things regarding God, we tend to experience him very little using our whole brain. What would that even look like? As I was reading the other half of church, I kept thinking about how if our people here could become whole-brained Christians, how our worship would look so different in here. I'm a worship pastor here, so of course that's what I'm gonna be thinking about. It's what I'm, I think about a lot. And so as we wrap up this mini-series within a series on worship, I wanna talk about whole-brain worship and the importance of coming together to worship. So in the book, it talks about how when we show up to church, we are coming from different places. And we have to take that into consideration when we show up to worship. So here's what's going on. Uh, And again, these terms come from the book. Number one, we have people who come in and they are low energy, disconnected. And in this category, you have those that tend to connect with God and others through lower energy avenues, whether that's contemplation or silence. And these are typically gonna be our introverts. And then you have a second group of people which are high energy, distracted. Those who tend to connect with God and others through high energy and action. And those are gonna be our people people and our extroverts. And then we have a third group, and these people are detached. The relational circuits to God and others are off. And it could be because they've had a bad week or a bad year or their marriage is on the rocks or they just found out some distressing news about a family member. But either way, all emotional circuits are off. And then this next group, the fourth group, um, are the people who are similar to detached, except they are experiencing all of the emotions. So they walk in here and they are flooded, or they walk in here and they are heavy, heavy. And then the last group are the people who are not showing their real authentic selves. They have a mask on. Did you know that about at about 18 months of age, um, our true self comes online, so to speak. And we start to understand how we affect others. And we start to understand that if it's not in a pleasant way or if people walk away or turn away, then that must mean that they don't like this. And so they start to put on a mask as early as 18 months which makes me guess that there may be some in here who have never felt it was okay to show their true authentic self. And that grieves my heart, that grieves my heart. So you take a percentage of those five groupings of people that we have here today, and we're trying to come together as one church and worship God. And it makes sense that not everyone will be engaged in the praise. It's exciting, upbeat celebration. Not everybody will be engaged in the intimate, the slower songs. There will be some who aren't engaged at all. 
I don't like the music, it's too loud, it's too soft. And yes, we hear it's too loud and too soft in the same week. <laughs> like there is no way to win, no way to win. And there are people who don't even come in for the music part. And there's a lot of reasons why. Some of them are excuses. Some of them are real reasons. I was talking to a guy out in the lobby and his wife has epilepsy and the lights and the graphics will spin her out. And so she has to wait and come in later and that makes sense. But then there are some of us who, yeah, we're not really music people. Um, and I can get my coffee. That gives me more time to get my coffee. I wrestle with it, guys. Wrestle with that. I don't know if you understand, if you really understand that the creator of the universe is here in this auditorium in a unique way because we all came together. And, and sure, I can go out into the forest and be with him and have an amazing time with him. Absolutely, I do that. But he manifests himself differently here. And I would venture a say, I'm gonna step on some toes here, but it's the truth. Like Sunday morning's not about you. I don't know if you knew that. It's all about him. And it's interesting that the one, the one part of Sunday service that we give anything, some people decide, nah, I don't wanna go to that. The one time that we don't take is in worship. So I wanna challenge you. Maybe some of you have just never even thought about that. And so I wanna challenge you. Like, we have something to offer. He's pretty worthy. Um, would you consider showing up for that? With that in mind, it makes sense that there will always, we will always have people who are pumped and ready to go. We will always have people who are down and low and struggling. And there will always be people who, they don't really wanna be here. And there may be some in here who like, you don't even buy this whole God thing yet. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having the courage to show up. I hope you feel invited and a part of something here. We're all in process. None of us has it figured out. I wanna, I wanna say that as a worship staff, we really try and be intentional about the songs that we choose. We don't just throw them together. Um, we wanna provide a space for everyone to connect with the Lord, whether that's in happiness and joy or whether that's in sadness and, or anger. We want this to be safe. Because a really cool thing about God is that we can connect with him in happy and mad all at the same time. He can handle it. I think our worship service should be a healthy balance so no one gets left behind. Corporate worship can't be tailored to just one person because look around. We have different ages, stages of life, ethnicities, genders. There is no way to win if we were tried to tailor it for one type of person. But the beautiful thing is all of us different people get to come together to worship the same God. It's pretty cool. And one extra cool thing that happens in corporate worship is that we sing to each other. Did you guys know that? I mean, it's obvious that we come and we sing to God. 
but we sing to each other. And I want to talk about that. Ephesians 5:19 says instead be filled with the spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the spirit. Speak to one another with songs. And this is whole brain. This is a whole brain exercise. Now we don't do this face to face. That would be really awkward. Although it doesn't mean that we shouldn't maybe try one day. I thought, I, I think last night I was like, what would that look like if I just, I just split them down the middle and I was like, okay, you guys turn this way and you guys turn this way. And I was like, those poor people in the aisle having to be like this far apart. And I'm like, all right, now sing, there's joy in the house of the Lord. <laughs> that would be so uncomfortable. So you're welcome. I did not do that. Um, but not to say that there won't be a day where we try it. I don't know. Um, what we do every Sunday is we stand side by side and we sing. And when we sing, we do some things. And I know this is only scratching the surface, but I pulled out a few things that I think are really important that we know when we come together. So the first thing we do, which is a real obvious one, is we celebrate and praise when we come together. Psalm 34:1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So when we celebrate him and his work, we're blessing him. Anyone remember, um, celebrate Jesus, celebrate. Yes, nice. First service did not get it. I had to verbally clap. Um, yeah, so that would have been a song of celebration. Today we do, there's joy in the house of the Lord and songs like that. It's typically our song that we start out with, praising him uh, for what he's done and who he is. Um, and Psalm 9-2 says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. The second thing that happens when we sing together is we declare. Psalm 51-15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Psalm 118.17 says, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. So when we sing, we are declaring his character. We are declaring who he is and what he can do and there is power in that. The third thing we do is we revere. Hebrews 5.7 says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus' prayers were heard because of his reverence. And we get to do this too with our worship. Hebrews 12, 28 says, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Number four wage war. This one took me a while to learn because I did not grow up in a church where this was talked about. Anything spiritual was not talked about. That was for the charismatic people. Um, and so waging war was a thing that I've probably only learned, gosh, in the last 10 years, 10, 15 years. But it is all over scripture, all over scripture. Psalm 107, 14 through 16. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. 
for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. This is an invitation to power. We worship him because he gives us victory. And this is what the doors of bronze and iron mean there. And then of course in Joshua 6, one of the craziest stories ever, in the battle of Jericho, God used the sound of trumpets and shouting and physically tore down the walls of a city. Only God, only God. Second Chronicles 20, we have Jehoshaphat praising God and appointed singers to sing to the Lord and praise him as they went out before the army. And when they began to worship, God sent ambushes against the other armies and they destroyed each other. So God's people didn't even have to get in the fight. All they did was worship. In 1 Samuel 16, David's harp soothed the tormenting spirit that plagued Saul. Hmm. It's crazy. A fifth thing that we do when we come together and worship is we remember. We remember who God is, what he's done, how he sees us, who we are. Psalm 143.5 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you've done. I ponder the work of your hands. This is a worship song that David wrote to remind the people of God's faithfulness. And then another thing that we do when we worship together is we remind each other. Our neighbors, the people we're singing across from, maybe the people who are standing in front of us. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. This is the bigger passage that I already shared. And do not get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are forgetful beings. We are no different from the disciples who experience a miraculous feeding of 5,000 and then in the next crisis, they're like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna get through this? Yeah, it sounds super familiar. We need reminders from our community. No, 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 God is still this. Now remember how he did this one last, this thing last time? We need those reminders from each other. The seventh thing that happens when we worship together is we teach theology. Psalm 89.1, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. The songs we sing inform our theology and for generations to come. Just like lessons from teachers and messages from preachers and things that we study in the Bible. As we sing, others who may not know God learn who he is and what he's done and capable of. We may learn this too. You ever have those times where you're singing a song and it may even be a song you've sang forever and then one lyric hits you and you're like, ah, yeah, yeah, that's right, he is that. They inform our theology. And the last one I wanted to touch on was they bond us together. And I don't have a scripture for this because it's just science. Music bonds people together. Think about when you're at your favorite concert and everyone else there is at their favorite concert too. And you're all singing the same songs and you're like, these are my people. 
or you're at like, when I'm at the Rockies game and we're singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game, like, I, of course you don't sing that song anywhere else, but just sing it there and you're just bonded to the people. It, it unites you, music unites you. It's a very right brain exercise. So all that to say, I need to be here to worship on Sunday mornings and you need to be here to worship on Sunday mornings. But maybe more important than that is that I need you to show up here and worship. And you need me to do the same. Because we're all gonna have those days where we forget that God sees us and that God's still working, that he hears you and he's with you. And you need to hear me remind you because I may be strong today, but when I'm not, I need you there to remind me. We need corporate worship for that, but we gotta show up and do our part. I wanna share a quote by Eugene Peterson. I love this guy. He's most famous for translating the Bible into contemporary language, into the message version of the Bible. A while back, he and Bono from U2 were talking about the Psalms like you do. And uh, the Psalms were very instrumental for Bono and the band, especially early, early on. And uh, the Psalms was a template for a lot of the songs that Bono wrote. And uh, Bono extended an invitation to Eugene Peterson to come to one of their concerts and he'd give him you know, the VIP treatment and everything. And, Eugene declined because he said he had a deadline translating a part of the Old Testament for the message. He was working on Isaiah. And an interviewer later said to Eugene, he goes, you may be the only person alive who turned down an opportunity to hang out with you two just to make a deadline. He goes, I mean, come on, it's Bono. And Eugene goes, but it was Isaiah. (laughs) And I'm like, that guy has his... Worship priorities squared away. Amazing. So here is his quote on worship. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Feelings are great liars. If Christians worshiped only when they felt like it, there would be precious little worship. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. A Christian congregation is a company of praying men and women who gather usually on Sundays for worship, who then go into the world as salt and light. God's Holy Spirit calls and forms this people. God means to do something with us and he means to do it in community. We are in on what God is doing and we are in on it together. I wrestle a lot with people who say, we're just gonna take some time away from church. We're just gonna really you know, focus on our family right now, spend time with our kids. I don't see that anywhere in scripture. I see, I see this, Hebrews 10, 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I see that advice, 
I don't see pulling out of community as a viable option to spiritual growth. And I get it. There are times where we're like, no, but it just feels like we should do that. Feelings are liars. Whenever I don't know about whether something I want to do is what God would want me to do, I go back and I look in the Bible, and if it doesn't match up, I probably shouldn't do it. I remember um, a couple that we knew back when it was two churches ago. We had planted our first church, and the Lord had decided that he wanted us to plant another church, which we were like, are you sure? Are you sure? Um, Because we loved where we were at. And so there was this couple that had been praying and they're like, God is telling us to go with you. And we're like, awesome, that's so great. And so as time got closer to go, they started like kind of checking out. And so eventually we we hung out with them to kind of ask, hey, what's really going on? And they said, yeah, so we've been talking with our kids and they don't want to move. And so we decided not to go. And I remember Aaron and I, we were like, but, but God told you to go. Like that had never been an option for us to not go because our kids didn't want to go. Um, and we had uprooted our kids twice. Um, And like, guys, I'm not saying we're perfect at this parenting thing. We have two girls who are part of this church. You are free to go ask them any questions you want. Um, We're committed to growing and we're committed to apologizing a lot. Um, But here's what our oldest child said, Carter, who was up here singing. Here's what um, she said when somebody asked her here at this church, hey, why did you move from Idaho to come this way? Because we came before she did. Um, and And here's what she said. She said, my parents have tried to honor the Lord wherever he leads. And it just seems like wherever my parents are, the Lord is there. And I want to be a part of that. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that was her takeaway. I'm glad we've done at least one thing right. that she saw that her parents followed the Lord's leading no matter what. And as a result, God just always seems to be there, which of course, you know that's the opposite. He's there and then we joined him. That's the real truth. But do your kids see God at work in your lives? Or are you just holding up a good moral lifestyle that is really just an act of your own will? Live in such a way that your kids see you strive to follow the Lord's leading. They won't always like it. It's usually hard, and there's usually heartache before there's blessing. But do it anyway, and let them see you do it. Now, we know that relationships with God and relationships with people are intertwined. You can't separate them, right? The greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. So when you don't worship God whole-brained or you don't live out your faith whole-brained, then your relationship with God isn't all it could be. It's fractured. But we also end up limiting our relationships with others when we're not whole-brained. We perpetuate hurt and bitterness when we're not whole-brained. We pass on generational sin when we're not whole-brained. 
and we give our children and friends a wrong perception of who God is when we're not whole-brained. And finally, we don't experience what worship really is and what it's for when we're not whole-brained. And yes, the alternative may be uncomfortable. For our left-brained dominant people, yeah. Yeah. Growth, right? It's just hard. But it doesn't mean we still shouldn't press into it. Brene Brown, darn her. Here's what she says. You can choose comfort or you can choose courage, but you can't choose both. Which will you choose today when it comes to this mysterious and vulnerable thing that we do called worshiping God together? And here's how I wanna wrap up my time. I wanna just share one more story because I love stories. Um, And it's a story about our friends Lisa and Russ Qualls. And I think we have a picture. This is just some of their family. They have 11 kids. Uh, Of course, they have more now because people are getting married and people are having babies. But um, seven biological, four adopted, um, two boys, two girls. The two girls, well, the four of them are from Ethiopia. The two girls were older when they were adopted, um, eight and nine, I think. And because of how old they were, they remember being brought to the orphanage and they remember their families that left them there. And so when they were adopted, they just really struggled to attach. And some of you are familiar with RADS, reactive attachment disorder. That happens with a lot of um, adoptions of kids who are older, unfortunately. The very thing they want the most, love, they can't, they just can't accept. It's, um, it's a crazy thing to wrap your mind around. So what ended up happening was with the girls, their house got very volatile. Um, it was very violent. It became dangerous for many of the, um, the members in the family. And so they prayed, read, researched, what can we do for our girls? And they were able to find a group home for one of their girls, Calcidon. And we have a picture. This is Calcidon. They found a group home that would take her that was a state away, and it was an amazing opportunity. In fact, she started flourishing. And the holiday that she came home for, the first time after being in the group home, um, they had a great time. It was actually peaceful, and that had never happened. And um, so it's time to take her back. And so Lisa and Russ and Calcidon load up in their van and they're, they're driving and they hit black ice and they flip their van and Lisa's trapped underneath the van and Calcidon is thrown and she was killed. She's 13. <clears throat> and Aaron and I got a call from Russ. Guys, can you please go be with our kids who are at the house? They just found out. And so we drove over there and, you know, there's, there's nothing you can do. We just held them and we cried and, you know, it was not the time for platitudes in scripture. It was just the time to hold and cry and say, I'm so sorry. And, and I, I so wrestled, like, God, things are going good. Like things are, they're on the up and up. What, what are you doing? Um, of course, there weren't any answers that came immediately. Lisa ended up going into the hospital. She made a full recovery, but she went into the hospital. The very next Sunday, I'm leading worship. 
And I go to take the stage, the music's starting, and there they are. They're right here in the front row. And I'm like, what? What are they doing? And so we started worshiping, and every time I looked over there, they were either like this, or hands around each other, crying. Sometimes they were singing, sometimes they couldn't. And I, I was so moved. I was inspired by, by their relationship with God in that moment, that they believed that the best place for them in their tragedy was not at home, which we totally would have understood, but at church with us, their spiritual family, because they needed us for strength and reminding. But we also got a front row to watch how those parents put on display to their kids the importance of church family and that God is worthy to be worshiped no matter what. It was a moment I will look back on as a time of mutual encouraging us for them, but them for us too. I'm so thankful for my community who worships alongside me and who reminds me who God is. We're gonna head into our implications right now. And I have five, not four, five, because I'm an Enneagram four, and so I have to do things unique. All right, so number one, we were created to be whole-brained worshipers, and that means our whole brain, not just the logical side but allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and step, stepping into the spaces that we don't necessarily understand. But that's the spaces where our spiritual formation grows. Implication two, God desires for us to worship together as one community of believers, but we each have a part to play. Implication three, Worship is not just singing songs. And if that's all it is, I think I speak for everybody on here, we'll just come sit out there. There's something greater happening. It's big. And I think if we all fully realized it, man, we'd be packing this place out. None of us would be late for worship ever. There's something greater happening. Number four, worship is vulnerable. And God lets us choose what we offer him. He's a gentleman like that. So if it's uncomfortable, it's most likely an indication of an area that needs growth. Press into it. Press into it. And implication five, checking out of church for time off, or focusing on family, it's actually not biblical. And again, it may feel right, but just check it with scripture. We need each other, present and in the room, and courageous enough to press into whole brainness. Imagine how God could show up among a room full of people like that. We're gonna head into our time of communion. And here at Southeast, we have an open table. 
And so if you'd like to celebrate Jesus' sacrifice with us, we invite you to do that. I'm gonna give you a minute to prepare your heart. And as you do, just take a minute to reflect on one thing you could do regarding your worship in this corporate setting. And maybe it's pushing through in an area you've been uncomfortable in. Maybe it's, maybe it's showing up and taking part. But take this next moment and see what the Lord reveals to you. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me Jesus I I see revival going on going on all around the world and it's interesting because it's so simple how it starts. It just starts with people who want more of you and won't settle. And God, I know you don't want it to just happen in pockets of the world. You desire to see it everywhere. There's people here in Parker, greater Douglas County and, and bigger than that, who don't know you or they think they know you and they've just had a distorted story given to them about who you are. God, I pray revival on Southeast. God, I pray for hearts to be ignited for you, God. That we wouldn't worry anymore about, oh, I, I don't feel comfortable. I'm not a music person. We have lots of excuses, but God, you are so big and beautiful and worthy that our excuses pale God, may our hearts be so captivated by you that we can't wait to get here on Sunday to give you something of ourselves. God, I pray that you would find this body of people here faithful and on fire for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.